You're sitting on the side of a long forgotten road, passing time talking to your donuts. They're not only your source of food for the day, but they're your only friends in this town. But something seems to be wrong with your speed gun. Every so often, it beeps closer and closer to 300 miles an hour. Why? Wait, what was that blue blur? Uh, oh no. Okay, I think we're in a video game adaptation, everybody. I didn't, okay. Um, let me think. Okay, dust off your game shark. We're booting up our Sega Genesis and digitizing the show to a crisp, clean, 16-bit resolution. It's Sonic the Hedgehog, here on Reel of Thieves. Hey everybody, I'm Pete, and this is Real of Thieves, where we go over all the references, riffs, and history of your favorite stuff, and this week is a week late and a dollar short because my family and I were sick with COVID. I couldn't really record more than a few minutes before getting raspy. It was a bit of a mess. Uh, we also have a new show that comes out twice a day that I'll be talking about in a little bit, but first, the movie we'll be going over today is... Sonic the Hedgehog. And I am not kidding. You wanted me to be more like me? I'm being more like me. But first, let's hawk some stuff. First off, can you do me a favor and just give me a follow on whatever platform you're on and share the show with a friend? I'd really appreciate it. It's helping the show so much. And the more it happens, the more it helps. So if you can do one thing to support Real of Thieves today, it would be sharing the show with a friend. If you feel like connecting with me more, follow me on Twitter and IG at Real of Thieves or send an email over to realofthieves at gmail.com. And thanks again, everybody who's been reaching out. You're all so super cool, and I love talking to you, and I can't wait to talk to you more. Now, I, I said I have a new daily show, and it's true. It's on this new app called Beams. It's a daily two-part show. It's over there called Breaking Character. I break down your favorite characters from your favorite stuff twice a friggin' day, and I think you would love it. So you can follow at Breaking Character on Twitter, no E at the end, just TR, because I bumped into the character limit, uh, at Breaking Character on TikTok as well, and at Breaking Character at Beams. When you download Beams, you'll be able to create your own voice thread. You're able to do like these little 60, 90 second Beams, uh, and that's the format that the show is in. And if you're listening to the show, I'm not using any of the setup that I'm using for this one. So there's no GarageBand, there's no laptop, there's no mic. I'm literally talking at an iDevice for the show. It's just the internal mic in the phone. And that's it. I do all the editing in the app. It's super cool. I highly encourage it, especially if you're someone interested in getting into podcasting and want a, a real like easy way to skim the water and, and get in and kind of feel it out. This is, this is the place for you to start. And if you're interested in making more of a long-form podcast like this one, even though this one isn't as long as some of the other ones, hashtag three hours is way too long, why don't you head over to anchor.fm? Even if you don't have the stuff that I talked about, you can actually still use your phone. You could still use whatever device you're on, use the internal mic, you can edit in the app as well. Anchor FM, the easiest way to make a podcast. And if you're over on Anchor, why don't you subscribe to the show? It's a great way for you to support the podcast directly. If you're over on Good Pods, you can send me a tip on there. And thank you for all the support over on Good Pods. We are climbing the charts. The show's actually been in a couple of top 10 lists this year. Thanks to you. We haven't even gotten 10 episodes yet. That's insane to me. Thank you so much for your support. I, I can't tell you how much it means. 
Okay, I think that's enough for my Wild West wagon of stuff. Let's close up shop and pull down the projector screen because it's time to learn. Oh, wow, that actually worked and my hands feel a lot better. Whoa, okay. So we've been talking about adaptations and we'll keep going down this road for a bit, I think, because the more I've had chances to think about it, you know, um, along with the crushing isolation during quarantine and reflection upon my own life and the choices I've made and, and what led me to this point and finding myself at the edge of both a political firestorm and ecological disaster in, in, in my lifetime, really. I've, um, I think I finally realized deep in my heart that there, uh, there aren't really a ton of analysis on video game adaptations. And that's somewhere where I can make a real impact. Video game adaptations have been marred by basically complete failure uh, with the occasional successful B-movie adaptation. And I mean that out of genre love, not some degradation in, in making B-movies less than. You know, uh, I, I love B-movies. I think there's a lot of merit to watching them and studying them. So that's not a dig. And many who have given the genre a chance will probably say, the Mortal Kombat films, both the original 1990s version and the newest reboot on HBO Max, and that you just kind of ignore everything in between. Uh, Doom adaptations have been largely met with what I would only describe as waves of hatred on the internet. None really capture the satanic panic thrash metal spirit of the original games, except, of course, the remake in 2016, which was a video game remake and reboot, not a movie reboot. We have to remember, though, that Doom is actually a sci-fi adaptation of a D&D campaign, which is one of the reasons why it doesn't fully translate over when you go full sci-fi. Yeah, it's actually, it's tabletop all the way down. Come to Philly for PAX Unplugged next year. God, I hope I can go. That's where I could be me. When my son begged me to watch this movie, I wasn't actually expecting it to do as well as it did. And, and I'm saying that without irony, without fear of judgment. Okay, maybe there's a little fear. I think that this is the best video game adaptation that I've watched so far. And I haven't seen all of them. But so far for me, for these eyes, this was well done. And this is my benchmark for the genre. A lot of it had to do with how well the movie weaved in tropes from other genres and references to films that would clue you in on what movie we were actually seeing. Much of the original Mortal Kombat was actually concerned with fight choreography while weaving in elements of the game that could be put in easier to a traditional martial arts film from the East. And it's a film about that fight choreography alone, really, when you watch it, and they lean into the campiness most of the time very well. Most of the time. But what Sonic leans into is this coming-of-age cutesy trope, and it just fits so well. Like I, I wanted to hug Sonic at the end, and I'm a Nintendo kid. I usually want to hug Yoshi, okay? But if they were both standing side by side right now, I don't know how I'd feel. It's tough. Is that weird? I'm sure anyone involved who happens to be listening is tickled by this. I'm having an identity crisis right now, bro. So before we go any further, uh, I just want to give the traditional spoiler alert. We do, we do, we do. Spoiler alert. So the beginning of the film felt very much like a compressed Act 1 origin story from other kid films in the Pixar DreamWorks arena, while still weaving in a decent amount of game elements in a short amount of time. It kind of pokes fun at the environment in-game with the loops and stuff, and Sonic is genuinely adorable as a little speedster. How they work in the Echidna? Echidna? I think that's how you say that? I'm just going to call them Knuckles people. Uh, they're the Knuckles characters anyway. Uh, they're the ones hunting down Sonic in the beginning, and that's actually a cool little way to add a plot seed for later down the line if there was a sequel. But, you know, and maybe this is because I didn't play much of the games. I don't actually know who that owl lady was. 
bird owl lady uh, person. I don't know if that was the original character or not. So I'm not really going to comment on that. And, and she's really only in the film for a few seconds. Also, when they pulled out the rings and they were like Stargates, at first I was hesitant. But then I was, it was like a pseudo throwback to like Sliders and SG-1. And I love both those things. And how else is he going to get away from all of these knuckles, right? They're like the Kakamura coconut pirates from Moana. They're just vicious little monsters. But I also want one. But he also needs to get away. But I also want one as a pet. Sonic being stranded in Green Hills is his first zone. Like, bravo. Good job. Great job making that an actual town. I thought that that was pretty cool, by the way. And also, my wife, who had a Sega Genesis, who played Sonic way more than me, I got to point that out to her, and she went, oh, and that felt really good. That felt so good. That's like beating her ass in Big Buck Hunter, okay? That's a big deal to me. Also, the way they did the nice little motif of Green Hills Zone 1's theme now and again when you were in Green Hills, I thought it was nice, and I thought it was actually tasteful. Now, James Marston, who plays Sheriff Wachowski, somehow makes me love a cop character again. And most of it has to do with the fact that he's literally Andy Taylor from the Andy Griffith show. Like, Green Hills is just Mayberry, North Carolina, and he has a bumbling sheriff deputy. Nothing ever really happens in the town. And instead of an aunt taking him in and with his son, this time it's an interracial couple that are kind of taking turns supporting each other as they achieve their dreams. It, it feels like a 21st century version of the Andy Griffith show with Sonic in it. But Sonic's narrative is actually much closer to that of, like, maybe maybe this is more out of left field for people. But it felt closer to The Little Mermaid, okay? Sonic has this obsession with human popular culture and misunderstandings with some things to a large degree because he just kind of observes people from the other world. And he collects a lot of stuff and steals a lot of stuff from the human world. His, his cave actually reminds me a lot of Ariel's Cove of surface collections, and as I'm talking, I just realized it was underground. Yes, no, that is, it's Ariel's cave. The inciting incident that brings everyone to the town felt equal parts Stranger Things and E.T. Uh, by the time they're hunting Sonic in the woods with the military, I was getting some first blood vibes even as well. I bet you if you cut some of those shots from like the guys in first blood going in as the soldiers into this scene, I bet some people wouldn't actually notice unless it was going on for like five, 10 minutes straight. And they'd be like, what's happening in this movie? <laughs> Now, the whole plot device to get him going towards San Francisco on this road trip through losing his rings is actually kind of cool, especially with how they condensed it and used it all in one scene, right? We show him about to go to one place, the, the, the mushroom planet, see another, vocalize what he sees, and then he drops a ring and it opens above the building on the shirt and the rings fall out onto that building's rooftop. But then the whole how do we use the ring things is out of the way. It shows how the magic system works without needing a ton of exposition later to explain too much. There's a little bit, but not a ton. And other adaptations I've seen haven't been able to actually use some of this stuff as well as they did. Dr. Robotnik's robots were really well done. They felt right out of the games. You would see these kind of crazy cyberpunk robots hunting Sonic the whole time. And it was really cool and really interesting to see all of those kind of coming to fruition and also them being all little eggs and that's where he gets the Eggman thing. That felt really cool. Also, I'd love to take the time to commend everyone for getting Jim Carrey involved in this film because what a crazy madman classic Jim Carrey performance this is. It has all the wacky noodle dancing physical comedy that some of his earlier work has. 
and it works great here to give Dr. Robotnik his own flavor. And I dug the more realistic take because it was Jim Carrey being Dr. Robotnik. I can't imagine somebody else actually being able to pull that off as well as he did, but also I couldn't imagine someone else trying to pull off the classic Eggman look during the whole film either. I think that would have been really distracting and very out of world, if that makes any sense. It was bothering me for a bit where this whole road trip trope was coming from until I heard them say bucket list. Obviously, one movie they pull from here is Bucket List, to some extent. We're on this last adventure with an odd couple pairing to get things done before they say goodbye. But I think they actually drew from another film. It's from 1996, starring John Travolta, called Michael. In it, Travolta plays the title character, who's the Archangel Michael, who was the one to strike down Satan into hell. And he decides to come down to Earth to visit a handful of times to celebrate over the years. But now, he's on his last turn before he can never come back. He has his own bucket list of sorts, one that lines up actually closer to Sonic's than it does to the other film, Bucket List. For example, Sonic's trope of loving roadside attractions feels very much out of Michael. Sonic's slow-mo time and super speed felt right out of the newest X-Men films when we see Quicksilver. Sonic's attitude also helps this comparison to Quicksilver even more. With how he has a penchant for kind of getting into trouble for doing what he wants because, well, he's just fast enough to get away with it. But he's also very lovable, and when push comes to shove, he always seems to do the right thing, even if it's at the last moment. That whole bar fight scene that we have in slow-mo at the end was really, really good, and it, and it gave me all those same feelings that I got when I watched Days of Future Past. How Sonic gets his iconic red sneakers was genuinely really sweet, and Maddie's sister Rachel, while understandably upset, it's also super mean to Sheriff Wachowski for seemingly no reason up until the whole terrorist thing. That's a perfectly good reason to be that mean to him. Also, super petty move by Robotnik, but also like, dude, that's clutch, right? Like, I would have done that. That's the most passive-aggressive thing to do. Just hit send on an email and destroy somebody's life. <laughs> Talk about work smarter, not harder. That's got to be part of the four-hour work week by Tim Ferriss. But Robotnik is pretty smart. And how he can chase Sonic through everything in his ship with just the power from one quill was so cool. It was this holy crap moment. I genuinely didn't see it coming. As all the rockets were firing at Sonic, I thought he was just going to push a button and blow them all up and not just go supernova and be able to chase him through however many places on however many planets. That whole running through all the various rings and chasing felt right out of the movie Push. I'd also like to take some time here to talk about Sonic and Wachowski's relationship. I thought that that was actually really well done. I'm impressed by how well Marston did with Sonic. I don't know if he had an actor in the car or just someone reading the line, but I think he did a really good job. I think they could have played a little bit more with the idea, and this isn't a dig at the film. This is just something I, I think that they could have done is play with the idea that maybe he didn't necessarily want kids. Because I kind of had the idea that like he wasn't really ready for something like that. And they kind of allude to it, and that he's kind of trying to be a dad-like person, but he can't really do it. And then by the end, they kind of accept Sonic, really, as, as part of the family towards the third act, really. I thought that that was kind of cool. And I, I feel like they could have played into that a little bit more. Maybe go, you know, I'm not ready. Maybe had like a little extra dialogue about that kind of thing. Oh, no, I don't want that. Mm-mm. And then him kind of finding his desire to be a dad during all of this, I think, instead of doing the friend thing. Uh, but I did like the friend thing. I thought that that was cool. 
I guess maybe it's because of, you know, my whole maybe experience as a father. I think that might have been a thing. Getting everyone back together in Green Hills was a really nice moment. And sending Robotnik through to the dreaded mushroom planet was not only a nice move, but a great callback. Like, this script has several throwbacks that pay off each time. Even the tiny ones get that. Like, the, the crazy guy who sees Sonic and everyone thinks he's crazy... His plot line is resolved in this script. Like, are you kidding me? Most people would have ignored that. We don't get any of the open-ended what-if stuff that usually drives people nuts. And, and that makes me feel better when I watch a movie, not to have all these, like, inconsistencies and holes and me wondering, well, what happens next? And what about this thing? And what if they don't get a sequel? Like, even if they didn't get a sequel, yeah, they leave it open for that in here. But it still feels, like, complete. You know what I mean? Giving Robotnik the more accurate look when he was insane and alone on the planet was fantastic. And now you, you think he's crazy before, and then you see the Eggman version of him, and you realize, oh no, he's like Green Goblin. He's definitely getting off this planet. <laughs> Sonic getting a home. Those two getting a kid. That felt really nice. And it, and it felt like it kind of ended on this 80s sitcom level note. And I like that. I really did. And I liked how that little post credit scene leaving it open for a sequel was ambitious, but well played, because that's 100% happening right now. Like, we're going to get a movie with tails and knuckles and stuff. That's awesome. I, I didn't actually think I'd be excited for a sequel to a video game adaptation after I saw the original video game adaptation. Like, th this has literally never happened to me before. Can you hear it in my voice? So overall, I dug Sonic the Hedgehog, obviously. It's a fun movie, especially if you have young kids. Watch it at home. Introduce them to something from your childhood. All right? It made me like Sonic more now than I did when I was a kid before I watched it. If that's not a successful movie, I don't know what is. But I know that there's people out there that don't fully appreciate how much I actually like this movie. Uh, maybe you didn't like it. But what would you have done different? What would you have taken out? What would you have put in? Would you have stayed closer to the games? Let me know over on socials and send us an email over to realofthieves at gmail.com. For homework this week, I want you to think about a game that you played recently. Maybe it's a game you played in your childhood. And it doesn't have to be a video game. It can be a D&D &D adventure that maybe you and your friends did. Because a lot of those have really, really great plot threats. Like I said earlier, uh, the Doom game itself is actually an adaptation of those programmers' D&D game in a sci-fi horror environment. I've done this in my life personally. My friends and I, when I was in high school and college and I was still friends with them, uh, we did a series on YouTube uh, called Mass Effect's Shepherd Deaths. I think it was called, it was like this big playlist of that where Shepard would die in all these random ways that were pretty funny compared to the game. But we we did it out of love, right? We really loved this game. We just found it funny how he would interact and how the death screen was. I don't know why. Um, the other one for me was I did a Fallout fan fiction that I just wrote screenplays for in case I was ever able to do a fan film because I actually really love post-apocalyptic cinema and post-apocalyptic fiction. So that was really easy for me to dive into. If you want to see some fan fiction examples, I've actually got one for you. I want you to go to YouTube and look up the film Astartes. It is a CGI short film made by maybe one very small team of 
people. And it's a Warhammer 40,000 fan fiction. This isn't a video game adaptation. This is an adaptation of a tabletop game. Uh, this is a war game with figures. So not that there isn't a giant world with it, right? There's a bunch of books and, and other things that go along with it. But uh, that's another great example of something that it really, it doesn't even have dialogue. Like I can't believe how in, engrossing this is. Just watching it, uh, very well done. But that is it for this week, everybody. So I will see you next time here on Reel of Thieves. Oh yeah, don't be a troll. Be an artist. That's super important. That's kind of the tagline of the show. That's usually first. But I, I didn't do it that time first. I just felt like...